Well, it's great to be with you today. Um, I know Chuck. I've known him well since 1994. We worked together at Promise Keepers. And I know you're on a transition as a church. But man, what I feel and experience here is awesome. You guys are headed the right direction. So I'm pleased for what God is doing. And I'm proud of, you know, of your loyalty, your faithfulness, and your commitment to make this church what God wants it to be right here in this part of the community. So keep it up. Stay faithful. Stay strong. Uh, between the elders and your teaching pastor and the team of volunteers, uh, the future is extremely, extremely bright for Summit Church. And so I am very, very excited about that opportunity. Um, the verses you've been going through under the Live Courageously theme is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It's be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Simple methodology of what we need to do to be courageous in our courageous living. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Today, the, the focus is living with the end in mind. How can I live courageously thinking about the end in mind? And whether you're here in the auditorium or here online, thank you for coming today. And I pray you'll enter into this process with us as we walk through just a handful of thoughts about living with the end in mind. Um, a teacher was in the room and uh, surprised the students one morning and said, students, we're going to have a pop quiz. Now, pop quizzes and I were not great friends. I always flunked the pop quizzes. Anybody else relate to that? No? Oh, you're all much smarter than me. I'm glad. We're happy for you. I messed up big time. <clears throat> so I was glad when they said test on Friday because then I could figure it out and get ready. So anyway, a teacher walks up and down the row of, of uh, chairs with students and places the test upside down on their desk and said, hold on, we'll get to it in a minute. After it was all done, teacher said, okay, you can turn it over. And they turned it over, and the only thing was was a blank piece of paper with a red dot in the middle. That's all it was. So students kind of looked around thinking, what is going on? How do I even respond to a blank piece of paper with a red dot in the middle. I think our teacher has lost his freaking mind. Possibly. So the teacher said, the only thing I want you to do is to respond to what you see. Respond to what you see. That was the only instruction. So they kind of look around, they grumble, they, you know, they do student things in a test. And then they got to work. And one by one, they started putting their responses down. And after 10 minutes, the teacher walked around, collected them all. They went back to the front of the room and started reading them. One of them actually wrote something very profound. <clears throat> this is a white piece of paper with a red dot in the middle. Now, that would have been my pop quiz answer. Some of them actually went through some detail. They thought, so why is the dot in the middle? Why is it the size it is? Why is it not a different color? Couldn't it be black or brown or green or yellow or purple? Or Think about all the things they were trying to do some analysis. And why is it in the middle and not on the top left or middle or bottom? Why is it not on the right side? Why is it in the middle? Kind of interesting diagnosis, I thought. Not one person, however, focused on the fact that they had a whole big piece of white paper. 
Every one of them focused on the dot. Everyone. Now, isn't that kind of like us? I go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, they were in a gorgeous botanical garden. Incredible. I would have loved to have been there. To see the garden before sin. Wouldn't that have been great? <clears throat> they were there. And their intimacy together, their relationship was incredible because it was before sin. Their intimacy with God was unbelievable. It was before sin. But what were the instructions? The instructions were, you can have everything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what do you think Adam and Eve focused on? Yeah, exactly. And but hey, we can't blame them. If they hadn't messed up, I would have. Could have been perfect till now, I'd have messed it up. It's human nature. It's what happens. <clears throat> Interesting that they did that, right? So I wonder how many of us have come to God, have asked for forgiveness, knowing God says he will, he, he, he indicates real clearly that he'll forgive us. And yet, we somehow don't want to forgive ourselves. We keep staring at that little red dot that's in our life. May have been something bad, may have been something, but it keeps hanging on. May have been how you were raised. May have been your dad. May have been your mom. May have been an uncle. Something happened. May have been a health condition. May have been, who knows, a divorce. Something. Maybe a, a continuing sin. You've, you've asked God to forgive you. You've, you've been forgiven. But this little sin keeps coming up. Some kind of an addiction. Some kind of a thinking process. Some something where it just keeps hanging on. And what you focus on is not the opportunity but to something you can't forgive yourself for. Absolutely happens. Here's the thing. How we handle these dots in our life so often determines the outcome of our life. If we are stuck on something and never get off of that something, whatever it is, can't forgive myself, a continuing sin, problems, something, and we don't move forward, it often determines so much of our life. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we admit that we have sinned and confess our sins to God, he is faithful and true to his word to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, those are the sins and the other tough stuff of our life. But sometimes that little red dot is, is a good red dot because we could be going through some trauma in our life in some manner, and we kind of avoid it by looking at the rest of it instead of just dealing with what it is. Could be a death. Could have been a death of a spouse, a child, parent, a good friend, something that causes us to stay focused on this dot. And that's okay because we have to figure out how we're going to move on without whomever that is. Could be a health challenge. How am I going to move on knowing that this is going to be here for a while or it could be some bad news related to your health. How am I going to deal with, quote, the end of my life as it comes quicker than I anticipated? Now, that red dot deserves attention because we have to figure out what the new normal is as we're moving forward. But we do have to figure out what the new normal is and not just stay focused on the dot. It could be a divorce. It could be a lost job. 
Could be trouble with kids. You need to spend more time. Could be a move. Now, a move can be a good thing, right? It could be moving in a positive or moving because you have to for some other reason. But still that move is a red dot. And it takes a ton of time and energy. At some point, you got to get past the move, the health, the divorce, the troubled kids, the whatever it is, to move forward and fill out what God has for you and the rest and not be stuck on the red dot. Regardless of a reason, there comes a time when we need to be able to focus on our calling in life. Our calling is real simple, to be faithful today so that I can live today with the end in mind. What I do today, I need to have the end in mind. This decision, how will it affect the end of my life? How will it affect my relationships around me? We'll dig into more of that here in just a bit. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard, watch, guard your heart. Keep watch, guard your heart, with all diligence, with all vigilance, vigilance, above all else. Guard your heart. Out of the heart comes the issues of life, and that's what we need to work through. Today, the question is, what do I mean by living with the end in mind? One of the things I do as as part of my um, day job, so to speak, is I do a podcast twice a month. And one of the podcasts, I interviewed two hospice chaplains. Now, God bless them, because they deal with death all day long. Six to eight appointments, house to house, or or, uh, some kind of a place where those, those people are living. And God bless the hospice nurses, my Lord, dealing with death all day long. People ending death, that's a challenge. But God bless them. Somebody needs to be there. And they have a calling to do that. So the question I asked these two hospice chaplains was two questions. One is, when people face the end of their life and they know it's imminent, I mean, none of us are going to escape this, but they know it's imminent, like days, weeks, hours, months. What are the things that they end their life with that is so fulfilling and brings contentment to them as they're ending their life? They're laying in their hospital bed. They're being pumped with drugs because they hurt so much. Whatever it is, what are they satisfied with? And then the other question is, what are they most troubled by as they get to the end of their life? Those are two valuable questions, right? Because if we can figure out the answers to those two questions, we can figure out what we want life to look like when it comes to an end. And when we know that, then today... We live like that so that we can make that journey to the end of our life, to where it becomes a fulfilling one, not such a painful one emotionally. So I want to talk about three things today. The first one is, as we're living with the end of mind, the first one is uh, knowing who I am in Christ and knowing my identity in Christ. Now, you think that sounds pretty simple. I'm a Christian. I live my Christian life. Blah, 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 blah. So I grew up on a farm. My dad's name was Alvin Morton or Al Morton. Some people call him Al. Some people call him Mort. I call him dad. And we got along just fine that way. Being Alvin Morton's son had a standard to it. The Morton family had a standard. And we lived in the farm, farmland. Everybody knew Al Morton. So when I'd run around, especially when I'd run around doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing, somebody would look me in the face and say, aren't you Al Morton's son? 
No, I'm Wendell. No, no, you're Al Morton's son. Your identity comes from your father. I'm Al Morton's son. So there's a standard. And if I wasn't following that standard, because they all had pretty much a similar standard, Al Morton got a phone call. Wendell Morton had a conversation. So he had three or four basic tenets that were very important to him. The one was that I always respect his wife, who also happened to be my mother. And I tried as a, as a, as a teenage kid, not very smart, brain was not engaged. I tested that rule and I disrespected his wife, who also happened to be my mother. I can assure you there was swift and immediate action and consequences as a result. But it reinforced the standard. If you're Al Morton's son, you respect his wife, who also happened to be my mother. And then I was idiotic enough, now you've never done this, but I was idiotic enough to try it again. I thought, okay, one time, we're good, I got it. He won't, he won't stand up the second time. He stood up the second time. And by the way, that was probably the last time I ever disrespected his wife. Great mom, phenomenal mom. There was a standard there. The other one was work ethic. Now, we were on a farm, so we had chores in the morning and chores at night. And he said, you have a lot of freedom. You can do anything you want to, for the most part, go to school, get good grades, blah, blah, blah. But morning, night, you got stuff you got to get done. I came home from basketball. I was a sophomore in high school. Came back from basketball one night. Been a tough game, been a long week. We got our tails kicked. And I walked in the house and I said, Mom, I need, I need something to eat. I really need something. I'm starving. I don't feel good. I'm, I'm tired, blah, 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 blah. She said, sure, I'll be glad to feed you. By the way, are your chores done? I said, no, I'll do them afterwards. She said, no, we do them before. We take care of the animals before we take care of ourselves. That was a standard. That was a commitment, right? Now, I'm not saying you need to have that commitment. I'm just saying, if I'm Al Morton's son, there are things I do. I respect his wife. I work hard. I take care of the animals before I take care of me. That's part of the problem. Sounds like a mom, doesn't it? Take care of the kids before you take care of yourself. That's exactly what it was. Another one, we were a Christian family, so we were in church. I mean, we were in church. Now, back then, it wasn't an hour on Sunday morning. It was Sunday school, church, Wednesday night, um, Friday night sometime, and any other time the pastor felt like unlocking the front door. And we were there all the time. I said, where's my bedroom in this place? We're here so much, I may as well just spend the night, and then I'll be here tomorrow because I'm coming back anyway. That was the standard. We're a Christian family. We follow Christ, the guidelines that Christ give us. Absolutely important. The other one was whatever you started, you finished. Whatever you started, you finished. These are great things to live on, by the way. But it was because I was Al Morton's son. So I played all sports. Not very well. Basketball, okay. I was in the middle of a baseball season. And it was spring and it was beautiful. And I said, you know what? I'm not that good anyway. Why don't I just quit? So I told my dad, I announced that night at dinner, Dad, I'm going to quit baseball. He said, fine, go ahead. After the season's over. Feel free when the season's over. 
He said, you made a commitment to a coach when you started. You made a commitment to your, your fellow players when you started. You were going to be there. So you're going to be there. You're welcome to quit. But after the season, there was a standard that Alvin Morton had for his family. And I'm thankful for that. Some of you didn't have that. What do you do then? How do we transfer what we had from our earthly father and, and try to filter it out for who the heavenly father really is? Because the heavenly father isn't like our earthly father. He's better. He's perfect. But we transfer that hev- uh, earthly image to our heavenly father. And some of you have a hard time trusting God. You have a hard time understanding the, the standard that God has because your dad was, frankly, lousy. It happens. Not everybody's in a perfect family. And today, even less, even less. Um, let me share with you if I have it here. Oh, I'm going to jump ahead and hit some fatherless statistics. The fatherlessness issue in America is the worst it's ever been. And what I just described on trying to understand who your father is and building a, a, an identity around that, if you don't have a father or if your father was, was not good for whatever reason, it is really tough to make that transition, very difficult. It can be done. You get a spiritual father. There's ways to make it happen, but it's tough. Listen to fatherless statistics. Fatherless children are five times more likely to live in poverty, be involved in crime, be part of what's called the school-to-prison pipeline, have significant emotional issues. 71%, 71% of teenage pregnancies have no father in the home. 85% of incarcerated youth have no father in the home. Adolescents without fathers in the home receive less help with their homework and have less supervision. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among adolescents. Of those, 63% have no father in the home. 90% of homeless and runaway children have no father in the home. Folks, we have an epidemic. That's an epidemic. Unlike COVID, we're not addressing it in the church sometimes or certainly in our world. And how we view our father is how we view our heavenly father. It's not who he is. We'll read some stuff. I'll read some stuff to you in a minute that talks about who he is and what he's done. But it's absolutely important. Far too many of us seek our identity from false temporary and unfulfilling ways to see who we should be as a man or a woman. If I don't have an identity come from my family, that I find it some other way. Who I know, what I do, how much I make, where I go on vacation, who I marry, who are my kids, how are my kids? All those other things try to fill that identity gap that is so different from what God desires from us. We seek it from false and temporary unfulfilling ways. When we do that, the identity of the world comes from the outside in. We open up the outside, things around us, and let it come inside of us to become our identity. And that has um, uh, temporary consequences. 
Because what happens? I'm a married man. I lose my wife. What happens now? Who am I? I have, have a job, a, a high position in a company. Who am I when I lose that job? Who am I if my kids go? Who am I if, I mean, and the ifs go on forever. So that identity can't come from the outside in. It has to come from the inside out. Now, initially, when I was a child, my identity came from the outside in. Wendell, these are the standards. You will respect my wife. You will work hard. You will be a Christian, and you, and you will finish what you start. I came from the outside in. But pretty soon, it was Wendell Morton, Al Morton's son, and these are, this is who I am. Same way in the Christian world. When God accepts us, our eternity is changed forever. But sometimes we're still stuck on the little red dot that we can't get past. Sin in my life, family issues, health issues, whatever it is, we're stuck and we can't get past that little red dot. And yet God calls us to victory and wants to give us an identity that is from the inside out. Who I am in Christ what God has done for me, that changes, not just my destiny. My destiny was changed when I asked God to forgive me of my sin. That's over. My, my eternal address is set. I'm going to heaven. But while I'm here, who am I? And how do I operate? What is the driving factor of my identity when we're there? Well, let me talk about three things real quick that help us as we surrender to Christ and build our identity. Number one is time and prayer. Now, you knew that. It's not complicated. It's all about communication, building a relationship. My dad was really quiet most of the time until I disrespected his wife. But he was really quiet. Here's the thing. That's because I was so busy. He said, it doesn't, doesn't do you good to tell you anything. You're not going to listen anyway, which is absolutely true. So as an adult, I began to sit in the chair next to him, sit in his yard, look at his garden, and I'd talk to him, say, Dad, what was it like growing up? I'm adopted. How did you guys connect with my biological mom? I mean, the stories that we were able to talk. And once I was sitting there willing to listen, this silent man, sometimes you had to check, see if he was alive. Are you breathing? Because <laughs> he's so quiet. This silent man would talk. And he would talk a while. Because we were in a relationship, we were in a relationship posture, and I wanted to know. Does that sound like our Heavenly Father? I mean, if we're doing the, the dial of prayer thing on our way to work or on the way out the door or whatever, I don't know how much we're in a spot we can really listen. I know for me, when that's going on, I'm not really listening. I'm asking God to bless what I'm doing not asking God to build a better relationship so he can bless me as he chooses. See, I have a plan. I have a, I'm a planner. I have a wonderful plan for my life. And I'm just saying, here, God, will you bless that? Bless it, Lord. He said, no, no. I knew you before the world was. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know all about your days before any of them ever happened. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. I know that. So as a result, what you should be doing is saying, not bless my plan, but open hands and say, God, what is your plan? How do you want to use me? A relationship posture so God can speak to us is where we need to be. And in this busy life, oh my word, 
In this busy life where every minute is planned or spontaneous but still extremely busy, I don't know that we have the time or take the time to have intimacy with God the Father. Time alone. You can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're listening to Christian music. You can do it while you're taking a walk. You can do it while you're doing anything. You don't have to be sitting on your knees in your chair. It's a good thing, but it's not necessary completely. God just wants to spend time with his son. He wants to spend time with his daughter. I mean, you know your heart as a parent. You just want to hang out with your kid. That's God. He's a parent. He wants to hang out with his kid. That's us. Let that develop. Time in prayer. Time in his word. Sometimes the word feels dry. Can I say that up here? Sometimes the word feels, I mean, if you're a Leviticus, get out of Leviticus. That's probably not where you need to spend your time. But maybe Proverbs, maybe Psalms, maybe Philippians, maybe some other book of the Bible. Just slowly read through it. I spent a year in Proverbs two years ago. I'm in Psalms this year. And it's just rich. Why? Because it's a few verses. I try to take the time. Don't do it every day. Try to take the time and allow God just to speak through the words. So you say, I don't know how to study the Bible. What does it say? Literally, what does it really say? What does it mean? I mean, to me, you don't have to do all the research on it, although Google will help you, but you don't have to do all the research. And then what do I do with it? When I read the verse that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and if I try to take that, you know, literally, I have some neighbors, I hope they're not listening, I have some neighbors that I would prefer God had a move in mind for them in the future. In the near future. Because if I'm called to love them as I love myself, I don't know, man. They're weird. Something's not right in that house. That's what they say about my house, but that's exactly it, right? How do I love my neighbors? That's literal. Today, I got to love my neighbors myself. It means I might have to move some snow for an elderly woman. It means I might have to help a guy who just says, I mean, who knows what? Just had surgery. Any number of things. But I have to know them so that I can love them as myself. It means I have to love the guy working next to me. And he stinks. I mean, how do I love people like that? It's, you get in a cube farm, you smell it. Uh, we all work from home now, but. So what do you do? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? It's always the unlovable. But remember, to someone else, you might be that one that's unlovable. We're not perfect. We're just trying to love the way God does. And then the last thing I would say about building your identity here is just share your faith publicly. You have to share your faith publicly. You have to let people know who you are. I'm a son of God. I'm a woman of God. I'm a child of God. God is my father. And as a result, I have a standard that I have to keep. It's not action or works-based salvation. It's works-based gratitude. It says, God, you've forgiven me of my sins. There's nothing I could have done to get this sin out of my life. But you've chosen by the, through the work of your son, the blood of the cross, to have me forgiven. As a result, I want to maintain a standard in my life that you can be proud of and that is attractive to others so they'll want to know you as well. How do you share your faith? You, you, you talk about what it was like before Christ. 
What, what were you like before Jesus? How did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I had a praying mom. I had a neighbor that invited me. I had a coworker. I had a whatever. Some way you came to Christ. We all know it was the Holy Spirit, but nonetheless, you came to Christ in some manner. And what happened now? How is my life different from how it was before? Before, why, now? If you get that put together in your mind, and you're talking to a coworker or a neighbor, they say, what makes you tick? Well, let me tell you, before I was like this, here's what God did in my life, and now this is what's going on. And they say, wow, that's powerful. Maybe I want that in my life. So those are things that matter, absolutely. Hey, I've got some verses I want us to read together. This is what the Bible says about us. And this is why it's important to know what the Bible says about us. If I'm trying to get my identity put together in Christ, what does that mean? Who am I in Christ? Whose am I in Christ? And here's some great verses. I got, I got a lot more, but in essence of time, we just put, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 of them together. Let's read them together. I am a new creation. I am complete in him. I am a child of God. I am righteous before God. I am dearly loved by God. I am forgiven of all my sins. I am accepted in him. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am free from condemnation. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I can do all things through Christ. I am victorious. I am never alone. I am bought with a high price through the precious blood of Christ. I mean, you read those, and if you, if you really read them and really think about how that affects us in our relationship with Christ. It's like taking a shower. It's like cleaning out all the old junk in your life and saying, wow, I am bought with a high price through the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that do for self-esteem and self-worth and value that God has placed on you that he would send his own son to die so that you could have life eternal and help others along the way? That is powerful. And when we start thinking poorly of ourselves, when we start thinking about the one thing we can't get out of our life, either a sin or, or, or um, circumstances, all those things, we need to just say, you know what? Satan, get out of my life. I am bought with a high price. I am worthy. I have value because of what Jesus has done in my life. Second thing I want us to look at, living with the end in mind, you must passionately pursue your primary relationships. Going back to the story of these two chaplains, what they really talked about most of the time was what people struggled with, what they were happy with. And most of the time, the common answer beyond their, where am I going for eternity, was all about their primary relationships. Spouse, child, other relatives, and the fact that so many petty things that became big things over the years had driven us apart. And now here I am facing death months, weeks, days from now, hours potentially. And I struggle because these relationships are not active in my life. When you die, you don't die alone, by the way. You may be alone. You may be the only one in the room when you die. But everybody in your life is affected and they die with you. So let's have a relationship with our primary relationships where we lay on our deathbed and say, thank God for my wife. Thank God for my kids. Thank God for my family. Instead of, 
like one person I was with not too long ago, about a year ago, actually, it's been a year, who just shuddered. He shook. Big guy, 6'4", 6'5", big man, but just broken because he, he messed up his family. He felt he was completely responsible for that. He'd been a drug dealer, got clean and sober, got saved, was an executive in a corporation, turned his life around dramatically. God really helped him. But the ones that never came with him were his kids. And he bargained with God at the end. He said, God, I just want little more time. He had an expiration date that was coming soon, and he knew that. He was bargaining, I want more time, as he shook, just sobbing. I've screwed up my family. I've messed them up so badly. Give me a little more time. Here's the good news of that story. While he never saw it, his kids have had long conversations with their mom, who was his wife, for years now, a year. And they've had long conversations about their dad, why he was this way, what he was going through when he was dealing with drugs, even as a drug dealer, and how God changed his life and how he worked hard to try to provide for his family because he never did early. And while they're not perfect, the kids are not perfect, and they've not said, Dad, you're forgiven completely, but they're moving in the right direction. And so what he sowed in their life is going to reap a harvest. And for that, I'm extremely thankful. Listen, it's never too late, not to just to change a relationship, but to work to renew a relationship with somebody who's really, really important to you. And I want to really encourage you to not let that wait. We have to live today with the end in mind. Think of yourself laying in a hospice bed. What is it you want? Who do you want around you? What kind of relationships do you want to have in place? That has to happen today. You have to start. You have to pick up the phone. You have to go have a visit. You got to work to make that happen. So it's our, our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. It's the primary relationships. And the last thing, it's how we serve those around us. Our commitment is to serve those around us. It's not to take exotic vacations, although you should, and I like them. But our primary job is not to do that. It's not to live in the biggest house in the neighborhood, but that's okay. Or drive the nicest car, in the, that's okay. Have the highest title in the corporation, that's okay. But that's not the drive. The drive is God put us here to help each other. Whether it's our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our fellow churchgoers, whatever it is. We're here to serve and to honor each other. And when we do that, it makes a massive difference. I grew up on a farm. We had many farm animals around us. Some I liked, some I wished lived at the neighbor's house, but we still had a farm and all those particular animals around. There's a major difference between a cow and a buffalo. You see, that's obvious. As they approach a storm, think of a storm. And by the way, we will have storms in our life. We have things that have come on us that are going to be very, very difficult. A cow senses the storm and runs away. I mean, just as fast as a little old cow can run, which is not very fast. And the storm comes behind them, and sooner or later that storm catches them. And when they're in the middle of the storm, because they've done everything they can to get away from the storm, they're worn out, absolutely worn out. They don't have the ability to work through that storm because they're tuckered. They did all their energy trying to get away from that sucker. Buffalo, on the other hand, senses the storm. Same adrenaline, same rush, same I got to get out of it, I got to do something. They run into the storm. 
And so all the energy the cow expended trying to get away from the storm, the buffalo uses to make the storm happen sooner so they can then get out of the storm faster. What a difference. Humans, we like to run. We're a cow. I didn't call you names, but we're a cow. We like to run away. We hate conflict. We don't like blah, 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 blah. Instead of running into the storm, fresher, focused, to get all the way through it so that we can benefit from it if we can, but definitely get through the storm. We're going to have trouble. I want to encourage you, as you face a battle, choose which way you're going to face it. For the good of the end in mind, how do you face the battle today? How do you accept your identity in Christ? How are you going to deal with the relationships around you? How are you going to serve those God has called you to serve? And how are you going to deal with the struggles that come into your life? Be a buffalo. Run into the storm. Get through it faster. Have God learn, help you learn what you need to learn. Experience what you need to experience. Help others while you're in it. And then get the heck out of it because you're still going away from or into the storm so you can get through it faster. In living with the end in mind, what message is God giving you right now? Is it about your relationship with him? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you found your identity in him? Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I'm really a child. I don't have the standard set. I'm not who God has really called me to be yet, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's your primary relationship. So you got something going on in a relationship somewhere and you, you need to understand if it's petty, not petty, you gotta work through it. Be a buffalo, run into it. And what about the priorities of life? Are you chasing things instead of serving others? I would just ask you to consider what God might have for you today as you're working through living, being courageous and living with the end in mind. There's three ways to respond here today. Obviously in your seat, your prayers, I'll pray here in a minute. There's a cross over here. If there's something you wanna write down and nail to that cross, I encourage you to do that. That is always powerful for me because the cross is the only hope we have. The work that Jesus did on the cross and the, the, the resurrection is what allows us to have an identity in him. It's what allows us to have a relationship with others and what gives us the motivation to serve. As we're going along, the cross is so powerful. I encourage you to consider that. Second one is communion. If you feel like it's time for communion for you, we're not gonna do it as a, as a church, but if you would like to do it, there's communion on either side. I encourage you to, to, to take a moment and do that as well. There's also prayer uh, people who will support you in prayer. If you just want somebody to pray for you, to love on you, to encourage you, to pray that God will have his way in your life, I would encourage you to go see these two wonderful people as they're committed to helping you in prayer. Father, let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy and the privilege of knowing you of living life on purpose with the end in mind, of being courageous and being the man or the woman or the child of God that you have called us to be. Father, we bless you for that. I pray for those who are here today who feel a, 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 a tug to move forward in their relationship with you, to really establish their identity in you. I pray, Father, you give them the path for that. I pray, Father, with who, people who may have broken relationships, and Father, as we get to the end of our life, we don't want to lay there with broken relationships. I pray, Father, you help us to have the courage to attempt 
a reconciliation. We know that not every time is it going to happen, but we need to attempt it, to give it our best, to ask for forgiveness, to uh, ask them to help us, to whatever it is, to try to move that relationship forward. And Father, I pray that we will serve others. Uh, as we do that, we are serving you, for you have asked us to be the hands and feet of yourself while uh, we're in this world. Thank you for this congregation. What a wonderful group of people who love you, who honor you, who praise you. I pray you just help us all to keep forward, to, to move forward with the next step, the journey that you have us on, to become more and more the man, the woman, and most importantly, the child of God that you created us to be. Pray these things in your name. Amen.